Welcome to The Form Guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. This week we're chatting to Jeremy Thomas, mental health campaigner and keynote speaker, and we're going to be talking about all things bipolar and tales from the music business. Enjoy. So, Jeremy Thomas, welcome to the Form Guide. It is lovely to see you. Great to see you, Rob. Brilliant. Great to be here. Thank you for joining us. And, and as we were saying at the before we went live, you are the uh, the only person I've allowed to choose the music based on um, your heritage and your credentials in the music industry. And that was Play That Funky Music by Wild Cherry. A fantastic choice. Great. Well, thank you very much. I feel honoured to do that. <laughs> Good. Thank it's you. a great so, track. Yeah, it fits in well. So we're, we're kind of 70s funk for uh, for this season of the, the form guide. And my plan is to do a little uh, DJ mix of these. And I think I think you, you kindly gave me my new DJ name on a LinkedIn post many months ago now, where I was deciding how to rebrand myself. And you came up with Dr. Moodswink as a as a take on on the whole bipolar so uh, i like that i think that's great yeah exactly so uh, dr mood swingle put a, a little mix of these these tracks together so thank you for that one so pleasure i'm um, delighted to have you on the show you are a keynote speaker um you are a podcast host of the the shed talks you're one of the original campaigners and have been um kind of out about your challenges of uh, mental health for a while now so delighted to have you um i'm going to start with the, the question i always ask and that is how are you today out of 10 you can see in the background i'm a i'm a six out of 10 today pretty average form um my, my children are tired which um getting to the end of the term which is making getting them up getting them to do anything a real stress i'm not handling it well i feel like i'm a rubbish father at the moment feeling a bit low so not the best form for me but again delighted to be here chat to you and i'm sure that will uh, rise through the show but how about you jeremy what's your score today uh, I would say my score is 7.5, um, possibly rising to 8, um, and, and I'm all right. You know, um, I got up very early. Um, I had a previous meeting to this, which I'll tell you about later, which started at 7.30. And um, you know that thing where you know you've got to get up early, so you wake up at 5.30. It's yeah. bloody annoying. There we go. <laughs> yeah i'm good i'm i'm good yeah good, I'm, well, good. So I'm all right seven seven point five we'll round that up to an eight which is great um so um welcome to everyone tuning in on the live rosie west good to see you form score of eight thank you for sharing so um really good to see that um so jeremy what would a perfect 10 day look like for you if such a thing exists what would be the components of a a, a perfect 10 day um right i can tell you that a good night's sleep a really good night's sleep, um, being in Greece or by the sea, so it could be Bridport or yeah. Patmos. Um, a, a morning's uh, achievement. So that could be like for me writing, yeah. which would be really great, um, or something else, you know, like podcasting. I really like that. But um, let's just say really mornings where the writing, swimming, squash, racquetball, uh, good food, friends. Um, yeah, I think that's that's what a perfect day is for me. I love that. And I think um, there are a few components of that that I, I would agree with in terms of myself, too, that, you know, there's this sleep, which is important. But, you know, having something that is an achievement, um, you know, whether it's working with inspirational people or working on your own, um, some exercise um, and, of course, being by the ocean, I think for me, the perfect day would always involve a, a dip in the sea. Um, yeah. So uh, Matt, Matt, Matt Bushell's tuning in, uh, six out of 10 today, uh, been to the gym, eating well, got to bed early, uh, work uh, is affecting form, which it can do for many of us for sure, but uh, tuning in is helping out to the quality of your day. So thanks for doing that, Matt. And uh, hopefully we can give you a bit of inspiration to get to that seven out of 10 today. Um, so Jeremy, we're going to start with a quick fire round, and this is um, nothing I've asked you to prepare for, but I'm going to ask you a series of questions. If mental health were a something, what would it be for you? And so it's really just what pops into your head, really. Um, so if mental health were an animal, Jeremy, what would uh, what comes to mind for you? Uh, would be a cat or a dog. And why, um, and why those? Um, 
Well, because mental health is helped by a cat or a dog, having something that loves you unconditionally and that you can love. Uh, and yeah, that's what I think it would be. Um, and of course, you could say a tarantula, a scorpion, and, but, you know, I'm not going there. I'm going on the cat or a dog. Yeah, and, and you're right, that un unconditional love. I'm not sure whether my cats love me unconditionally, but they uh, <laughs> they, they certainly do when they want feeding or, or stroking. They certainly sure. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're a bit, definitely. I think the cat is quite an interesting one because, um, you know, they're... Um, I just love the. I love to watch cats how they kind of move yeah. and their agility. I think they're you know, and I've never been a cat person growing up. I was always a, a dog person, um, but I think cats, well, cats. Cats are funny, aren't they? I but, mean, they're just hugely selfish. Yeah, yeah. and terribly funny. Yeah, um, but they're they're pretty good at self care, right? They're selfish, but they're pretty good at, at getting what they need. Uh, whether oh yes, whether that's a cat yeah. nap, whether it's eating, whether it's some some companionship, they they go for what they need, and I think that selflessness of, of making sure they get what they need is uh, a lesson for us all really yeah yeah um, good one yeah so the mental health cat or dog um if mental health were a color what comes to mind for you jeremy blue blue why blue uh i suppose because uh you know uh, good mental health is a clear blue sky hmm. i think and you're going yay all yeah. the lights are on red you know etc um, but of course, then the other side, the sort of cobalt blue um, is the other side of the spectrum of, you know, being gloomed and depressed. Um, and uh, I've never thought of this before. But yeah, that's probably what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're with you on that with form score. So kind of 10 out of 10 is a, is a vibrant a vibrant blue like that um yeah kind of nine is you know into the blues and the eight so we kind of agree that that you know representation of the blue sky is 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 pretty cool so i think i'm gonna settle on a seven actually i'm enjoying this conversation um, <laughs> and um I, you know i think i love that image of that there is always a blue sky behind the dark clouds just waiting to be revealed and i think when we're struggling that 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 imagery and that positive thinking can be very very helpful um so if mental health were a food jeremy what comes to mind for you oh my god <laughs> <laughs> it's a challenge that one isn't it uh well i would say cottage pie yeah or shepherd's pie yeah. why is that um because shepherd's pie is so sort of comfortable and it's comfort food um and that you know if you so I want to eat comfort food because I want to be in the middle of the bed. You know, I want to be in the middle of the bed of mental health. Yeah. Um, um, and therefore I would do that. I wouldn't be going veal fricassee uh, or something really <laughs> possibly dodgy um, or that sort of th stuff that could be off. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, that, that's all I, you know, could I make that more groovy? I don't know, but that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, cottage pie, cottage, cottage pie, solid comfort cottage pie. I'm with you on that. Mm. I think mine would be definitely pizza. You know, that sort of uh, different different components making up the flavour. Um, but you know, something you reach for when you just want to, you know, relax in front of a a good piece of music or a good TV show, whatever it might be. Um, yes, love it. If mental health were a holiday destination, and you may have already answered this, but where would it be? Oh, it would be Greece. Yeah, it would definitely be Greece. And for me, it would be a Greek island in particular, and it would be called Patmos, um, where I lived and, you know, sorted my brain out. Um, and um, I love Greece. I love the Greek people. Yeah, they're bloody funny and very hospitable. Um, and, you know, it's beautiful, it's very beautiful. Yeah. Um, and Greeks are mad you know, they're great fun. Yeah. I love them. Yeah. How long did um, you live there for? I lived there for two and a half years wow. um, and then have spent five months of the year there virtually ever since, a little less recently. But I, yeah, I, I am the um, I am the sales rep, you know, for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sold. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. I, I mean, there are other places I could say, but I'm, I'm, I'm only trying to give one answer. Absolutely. Well, I, know, I like that one. So um, this will be a challenge for you, but um, or it may not. Um, if mental health were a song or a piece of music, again, what, what would represent mental health for you? Oh, goodness. Um, 
Um, that is very, very difficult. Um, possibly Coldplay, um, Fix You, uh, I think is very emotional, evocative song, very well done, yeah. um, despite however everyone seems to hate Coldplay. Yeah. Um, um, but I also think that virtually anything you know, that Joni Mitchell uh, has done is mm. just brilliant. I mean, you know, a song like Both Sides Now, um, Chelsea Morning, you know, these are things where, you know, somebody, you just know that they know what they're talking about, yeah. that they have been to East and West <laughs> and North and South. Um, and she, Jenny Mitchell, is just really the best, uh, I think. I just love Jenny Mitchell. Yeah, fabulous. Great choice. Um, and I, I do love that Coldplay song as well. I think you're right. Coldplay, uh, I think, get a bit of an unfair rap. Um, and, yeah, you know, I think it's because they're so successful. Well, right. Everyone it's hates them. It's the, it's the tall poppy syndrome, isn't it? Everyone loves them when they're coming up and when they get too Yes, big, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very strange Absolutely. human dynamic there. Um, final one. If mental health were a sound, what comes to mind, Jeremy? <coughs> Blimey. <coughs> Sorry, that's a cough, obviously. Quite good. <laughs> yeah, um, that, I'm taking that wasn't your answer. Yeah, that wasn't there. Yeah, that wasn't my answer. Um, well, that I um you could say, um, okay, this is very pretentious. I'm gonna go for a pretentious answer. Okay. Um, the Gregorian chant. Ah, indeed. And why do you select that? Well, I I I I was um I was educated uh, by Benedictine monks, so I know I, that's how I know about it. Um, and I think that growing chant, you know, it, it's the most soothing thing to hear. Um, but perhaps when you're not well, it's um, when you're really, really not well, it's, it's not at all. Mm. Um, I mean, that's, that's a sound. Yeah. And I think, it, I just think it's, I think it's good. Yeah. Um, I once um, put out a Gregorian chant box set in the music business and um, I had a punk rock uh, designer do the wraparound sleeve. Yeah. And, he, and he'd said to me, he said, cool, blimey, mate, this is wonderful stuff for the hangover. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, hey. Great. Okay. Yeah, brilliant. brilliant. It's interesting that that sound can be jarring if you're not in a, a good place. I, I like that kind of uh, opposite there, which is interesting. So I'm going to try and put all this together. So we, we uh, you've invited me uh, to be your guest on this Greek island. Uh, what was the name again? Sorry, I, I missed that. Atmos. Yeah. So you've invited me there to to be your guest. Um, and we're we're seated overlooking just this amazing blue ocean with a beautiful blue sky. Um, and, and we're watching a couple of cats and we're just taking a moment to just see how they play and move. They're kind of play fighting. And it's just really interesting as to how they they kind of move and and then relax with each other. Um, we can hear um, in the distance the Gregorian chant of, the, of some monks. We don't really know why, but we notice it for a second. And then we're, we're served this amazing yeah, cottage pie um that it's a bit out of, bit out of you know out of sync with the scene in greece but yeah we're very appreciative of it um and then we're here uh, while we're eating this amazing just beautiful comfort food uh the sounds of joni michel um to uh, to enjoy while we're having uh, having our lunch so not a bad scene is it no i like it actually i like it we could substitute the cottage pie for moussaka very easily absolutely yeah, there are lots of cats and there are monks on the island, yeah. so yeah. it's looking good. Eminently Rob's. achievable, yeah. Some some of yeah. these, when I put them together, are kind of a definite fantasy, but that's a, a good achievable one, which I uh, which I like. So thanks for doing that. Good bit of fun. Get us started. So we're going to talk about kind of bipolar, and we're going to talk about being open. We're going to talk about a few things, but. You, you've you've had a, a long career and a successful career in the music business before you became a mental health campaigner and speaker. Can you can you tell us a bit about that that journey in the music business? I'm really interested. Yeah, sure. Well, I I started off life um, um, working for a very big company called Decca, um, and I was what was known as a plugger. Um, and people get what is a plugger? And a plugger was um, somebody who took 
records to what you know, I mean, old old fashioned terms, yep. records to radio stations at top of the pops and the word and you know, yep. to tell you things and try and persuade them to play it. And um, and that's what I did. And I worked there and it was, um, it was, you know, relatively successful. Um, and I, you know, because I had long hair at the time, uh, all the people at Decker decided that any group that had long hair should um, should come my way. So I, I looked after, you know, sort of Justin Hayward and John Lodge and John Entwistle from The Who and Thin Lizzy, Caravan, Camel, um, Judas Priest. Judas oh, my Priest. God. <laughs> uh, and I, I always here's a tiny anecdote that I, I so somebody said, you've got to look after Judas Priest, you know, first album. And I went, I hate this sort of stuff. And I looked at all the lyrics and it was sort of, I want to send Satan down to your bus stop. And, you know, all this is, you know, I'm going to cut your head off with a motor mower. And I go, oh, no, they're horrible. They're maniacs. Anyway, so I, had, I got them a talk. I got them an interview on BBC Radio Newcastle, or yeah. Metro Radio. Music. And I met them in this hotel. And I'd never met them before. And I walked in, I'm thinking, oh, my God, should I wear armour, you know? <laughs> and they went, oh, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you want some tea? And I was going, you know, where's all the Jack Daniels? And the, <laughs> yeah. They're lovely guys, actually. I mean, it was just so funny. And that's the truth about the music business. You know, always the heavy metal ones were really sweet. The folk singers are the ones you want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right, because we have this this perception of what what an act is going to be in real life, and of course, it is it's a, it's an act, isn't it? It's a show for yeah. me in a lot of cases. Uh, uh, I was aware that Judas Priest were a, you know a bunch of uh, lovely Brummies. I'm I'm from West Bromwich myself, so right? Okay, I can uh, I can relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they were really like that. I mean, they were very sweet guys. Uh, so anyway, I did a lot of that and. You know, it was great because it was working with all sorts of different people, as I say, people like Thin Lizzy, which is, in retrospect, great to have worked with them, you know. Uh, then Al Green, Jackie Wilson, The Shy Lights, um, all of those sort of black R&B acts that were really great. Anyway, I went then went on, and I was very lucky, and I got sort of an opportunity to run um, a, a record label that had had a great history, um, you know, T-Rex, Joe Cocker, Proker Harm, uh, Joan Armand Trading, all sorts of things, but it's sort of gone down the dumper a bit. Yeah. And I got asked as the young Turk to take this over and right, it's all going to be great. And, uh, and I did, and, um, and it was pretty good. I mean, we worked very, very hard. And um, yeah, I mean, it all went, went pretty well um, uh, up until about four years. And we had, we finally had some hits. Um, and hit albums, and we had people like John Williams. I'd, yeah. Probably people won't know who these are. Quantum Jump, which was um, okay. one of my favourite groups. The, the Lone Ranger, Tarmac, Wacky Tangy. I don't know if you remember that single. It was a top five single. Anyway, yeah. it's great. Gordon Gilchrist. People, lots of people. And um, you know, and that all was fab. Um, and then, um, well, it sort of ties in really with the bipolar story because it's not a linear story, yeah. my music business yeah. story um so what happened for me what happened was that my uh it got to you know point all these hits great and then my mum died uh which which was a, not a good thing because uh, i liked her um <laughs> <laughs> quite a lot yeah, and and i decided it was like suddenly it went a bit weird and i went right i'm going to throw caution to the winds and I'm going to set up a new record label. Right. Uh, with a friend of mine who was very well thought of. Um, and we were, you know, offered lots of backing and everyone said it was going to be fantastic. And just before we were about to do it, all the money fell out. Um, recession, whatever. And, um, and my partner said, better not do it. And I said, better we had. And so we did, and we went and worked out of his office, and his he had a little label and whatever. And <laughs> that was the thing that triggered um, the first um, the first incidents of really, really serious um, bipolar depression. Um, and um, I mean, I can go on, Rob. I mean, it's sort of uh, 
uh, you know, that was pretty uh, terrible because I was out of a comfort zone. I was in a perilous situation. So lots of my friends were all going, well, obviously you're feeling a bit down, you know, you know. And I'm going, <clears throat> and I'm thinking inwardly, no, no, this is, just, this is a lot more than that. But you don't want to say anything. But it was, um, you know, within, within five months of being there, I'd gone from being this sort of the hero arriving to the person who was staring at the wall all day and, um, you know, just feeling useless, worthless, hopeless, um, like it's all over. Mm. You know, this has all been, somebody has just announced that that was all a load of luck, what you did. Yeah. And now you're a total wanker. Um, and that's it. And it's all over. Your girlfriend, you split up with her, split up with your partner and pop down to the nearest tube station, you know. Um, and what happened, I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because I tell this story live, you know, in, in talks, what happened was that, um, after my, uh, last, uh, sort of suicide attempt, really, um, um, you know, my old boss rang me up and he said, we've heard you're very, uh, you know, unhappy and we want to get you back. We would think you're great. We really think you're great. And just hearing that made the difference. And then I, I went back and it all went in the other direction. And suddenly, within seven weeks, all the energy, confidence, decision-making, focus, concentration, fearless, uh, just kicked in. Yeah. And, um, and basically, I really was working my nuts off, 14 hours, 15 hours a day, and, you know, achieving a lot, as you can do in a mild, what well, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know anything. Um, but it was mild, mild mania, yeah. but it was very controllable. Um, and you can do a lot. You can. And anyway, long story short, um, you know, I then came up with an idea, which was to release the BBC Radio 1 in concert series on record. Mm. Um which was a good idea. I mean, it was like, yes, good idea. And I got a sort of, I twisted their arm to give me a letter in principle of agreement, um, nothing more, 36 shows. Uh, then went off to America, um, got somebody big in America to say, if you can prove you've got all these concerts, you know, Elton John, David Bowie, whatever, um, we'll give you $5 million. Yep. And then, did you say $5 million? Um, and, and then, uh, you know, that was, I mean, it was off to the races after that. Yeah. Um, um, uh, I mean, too many things really, you know, hired a chauffeur in New York um, called Frankie, ex-cop, um, came back, um, hired another chauffeur, um, bought him a Mercedes because I didn't like the Toyota he was driving. Okay. And ended up buying, deciding, and I'll finish on this. I, I ended up deciding to, uh, I, I fed up with having a three-bedroom flat in Battersea. That was crap. Uh, so I thought it was time to have a five-bedroom house and three bathrooms. Yeah. Found a house that was vacant, empty. The owner liked me. And I said, um, he said, I tell you what, I'm going on holiday for six weeks. Have the key. And when I come back, you know, we can, we can exchange contracts. Yeah. And I went, that's brilliant. And what he didn't know is I'd already hired a firm of builders uh, to come into the house and redo it. Yeah. Um, and they said, the builder said to me, well, if we could go in tomorrow, um, you know, we could get it all done in time for your girlfriend's birthday at the end of the year. Yeah. So I said, well, it's a great idea. Just do it. It's, it'll be all right. And that's anyway, it's, it's, yeah. You can imagine what happened. Um, yeah, and and, and and this was all on the uh, the thought that this big contract was was going to come in. Oh yes, yeah, you know, and that went. Then I went back to New York um, because it got slightly beaten up, and um, and then I ended up having um, two armed bodyguards 
and the the most expensive suite hotel suite in new york um for two weeks and um and then i ended up um being rescued uh, and going to the royal bethlehem hospital in beckenham and kent and those are just the beats of that particular story um so i mean you know and then that then um, basically then that um repeated um over the next two years in mild uh, milder ways but new york paris hamburg cardigan in wales yeah and um and you know ended up with where i lost absolutely everything yeah. um homeless unemployed spat out and um you know um and then it was a sort of long period of recovery really um so yes i mean it's weird to talk about it you know having given so many talks where i include the story um and and i don't i don't sort of do it to sort of make it sound fantastic uh i mean it's not fantastic having your house taken away um no and uh, and I, uh, you know, I thank thank you for for sharing uh, that and being being so open about it. And, and presumably, the, the the chap who was intending to sell you the the, the five bedroom house came back and then saw. Yes, he did. That it was a whole he, bunch he of came back after two, he came back after two weeks. He came home early and saw that his house had been the bottom the ground part of it had been wrecked and um and he went mad obviously and, yeah. but i mean to me in that state i'm going you know mate you know keep your hair on you know yeah. what are you getting so upset about you know it's all going to work out yeah and it's that it's, him it's when we're in that state and i've experienced you know not i haven't done anything quite as extreme but i've you i, I have experienced that way of thinking that um that you you just have this complete belief that everything will be okay that the contract will come in that things will go your way and it, and it's yes it's a, like an unshakable belief of certainty isn't it is that how it kind of transpired for you yeah i think i think this i mean i had a very good psychiatrist who said um you know clearly he was a sort of expert on manic depression bipolar and he said look your personality does make a difference um uh, and I was quite a persuasive salesman mm. as a person. So I think that what happens with this is that this is an understatement. So your judgment is impaired, but it is, but it's impaired as to your talents, assets and capabilities. And it's like, yeah, 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 I can wing it. I can get look. That's what Richard Branson does. You know, the thing is, Richard Branson is dead sober, you know, very calm and uh, yeah. got it worked out. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's it. You think you can wing it. You think you'll make it happen. Um, and, 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 and you certainly don't think, I mean, I think this is one of the interesting things I think about bipolar is that you don't think anything's wrong. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're going, gosh, I'm a bit bipolar today. Mm. Uh, you're not thinking that you're thinking, you're thinking either I am a terrible person I'm standing on the edge of a tube platform or it's quite natural for me to have armed bodyguards, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you mentioned about the, the period in the middle where you're experiencing a bit of slight hypermania and you're highly productive and you're successful and you're achieving lots. And I, and I, know, yes. I know I experienced that and I don't want to glorify it um because the the extreme as you've just so articulated articulately highlighted is dangerous right the extremes is dangerous but there is a bit in the middle that we think this is amazing and this is us and this is us achieving and being creative and being successful and it's hard to know when that tips into sometimes the the more dangerous balance how do you how do you uh, with experience now know that you're heading into a, a more dangerous place well, let me just preface before I say that. Let me just say that I think the very difficult thing is for other people who are around somebody who's bipolar. Uh, and I credit my brother with this. He was really good to me. And, you know, because when I wanted, when I sort of thought I'd got it back together, 
and I had lots of sudden things suddenly happening and because I still had a reputation, you know, the music business. And then, and I said, you know what, I've got to go back to New York. And he, he was going, no, you mustn't. No, that's, that, that's where it goes wrong. And I'm going, look, don't hold me back. You know, this is what I'm, you know, and what, of course, what did happen was I'm, I went and I, you know, I had no credit card. I took, didn't have a credit card to say, and of course it went totally wrong um, because New York was the trigger. Yeah. I mean, that was what was a final trigger, you know, that speed. Um, how do I know, you know, I mean, it's, it's very difficult. Well, no, it's not difficult. I'm, I'm probably just being a ponce actually. It's, it's, um, it's, I, you know, I had to do a lot of things. Um, uh, and, and this is what I had to do. I had to take medication, um, which I take today. Um, which is lithium, yep. and I've, t- I've taken that for 30 years. Uh, I wish I, I had a sponsorship deal with the makers of lithium, because that would be quite handy, actually. Yep. Um, I don't drink, uh, and that is a big deal. I gave up drinking, huge. Um, I, t- you know, I take exercise, uh, you know, really, really important. I make sure that I engage with people and it's asleep. So how how do I prevent that that upswing happening? I think that was your question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's more how do you know if if you are heading into a dangerous part of that upswing? Ah, okay. Well, I definitely know if I set up a mini cab account. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a really stupid thing to say, but if I find you know, I mean, I've lost my driving license quite a few times in my life, and yeah. I've had mini cab. You know, and if I suddenly do, if I suddenly here I am in Somerset going, actually, you know what I need is a bit of an account with top notch cars. Yeah, it's a very interesting clue for me okay. um, because that's the old grandiosity button yeah. being pressed, you know, um, I think. And also um, probably not supposed to say this on 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 a family show. Um, but, um, you know, sex is quite an important thing in these situations. And the sexometer, like the groovometer, the sexometer, you know, if you're suddenly getting very, very uh, interested in Mavis in the bakery, um, <laughs> you know, and you're thinking my wife is in London, gosh. Um, I think that's a, an interesting thing. But I think, I suppose the other thing is that you're, you must know this. It's when you're on the phone, you know, you're going, I'm going to phone Rob. Yeah. And someone said, you never phone Rob. Shut up, I'll phoning Rob. And then I'm going to phone Ted. And then I'm going to phone... It's just a pattern. Yeah. Build up, build up. Yeah. That's how I would recognise it. Yeah, I can um, I, I can totally rate. I, I can't say I fancy Mavis in the bakery, but maybe I've got... No, a, you've not seen her. I've got a Rob. different bakery to you, perhaps. Oh, OK. <laughs> but, but you're right. It's that, that compulsion of something that... Um, is so important that you know needs to be acted upon at the expense of everything else is how I experience it and my wife can always tell if I'm heading into a period of hypermania because I tend to get more disconnected and more focused on self and and it can be kind of these little projects that I come up with that needs to be done or are so important and I've you know got to recognize that um and mostly I stay in the kind of superpower category where I can achieve a lot, but sometimes it takes for me that external influence and my wife in particular who, and, and kudos to her, to Mary for, you know, helping me manage this and the burden yeah, that she yeah. carries. Right. Um, but sometimes it takes that external influence to, to kind of get there. Well, I think, I think that's um, pretty key. And, and I, I get that what you're saying. And I think also, you know, that if you've got somebody who's leaping out of bed at 5.30 and going, no, 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 I feel great. Don't worry about it. I mean, I'm, I'm actually always normally up at this time. <laughs> Someone's going, hello, uh, you're not. Um, and, you know, where you're bouncing out down to the newsagent and you're buying, you know, 10 newspapers. and Yeah. Yeah. I think I've managed, I... I think I've managed to turn mine to a bit of a force for good at times. So... The, the last really silly idea I came up with that I implemented while I was slightly manic when I came up with it was actually to ride the Tour de France 
on a, a static bike um, in, in, a, in, a, in a mental health awareness campaign. But actually, when right. we looked at it from the position of being in a balanced view, it was actually quite a good idea. It was, a, it was an extreme idea, but it was quite a good one. Yes, yeah. And, and sometimes yeah. I think if you can have those checks and balances on your thinking, some good ideas can come out of those, those slightly manic states. Yeah, sure. I think I think that's right. It's it's a question of um, tapping the energy, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I've always what I always thought was that. I mean, you know, there's a lot of in America. They always say that Winston Churchill was bipolar, mm. um, and he had loads of energy and da 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 But and he screwed up lots of things. But he had people around him all the time going, "Stop, do this." Yeah. Anyway, I, I you know. I, I think the interesting thing I could suggest is the, the opposite swing. How do you know when you're going, you know, through a low, yeah. uh, head, heading for a low? And I, I've got one which is very uh, weird but true when I end up in sweet shops. Okay. Which is really weird, you know. Yeah. I mean, I do like chocolate, but I'm not somebody who goes in. I never go to but you, you suddenly find yourself buying Mars bars and buying this and buying that. Yeah. And there's a natural thing about that, that, you know, the body wants it, the mind, brain wants it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, I'll often, um, a chocolate, chocolate would be a bit of a weakness for me anyway. Um, but if I start buying a, the big bars and, you know, I might buy the family a small bar each and then myself a big one, that's probably <laughs> probably a sign that um, I'm, I'm starting to feel a bit low or heading a bit Yeah. Low. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting, isn't it? Dennis Stevenson, Lord Stevenson, once uh, said to me that he he quoted a uh, an old times medical correspondent who said, um, "Thank God we have bipolar people because otherwise we'd get nothing done." And, uh, and I, <laughs> that that has always stuck with me a little bit because I think this again back to that bit in the middle um, that that we can achieve quite a lot, can't we? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the other thing to say is that. Um, you know, um, K. Redfield Jameson, you know, Touched by Fire, brilliant book. If anyone hasn't read it, um, all about poets, artists, and writers and the effect of bipolar and depression on these people. I mean, I think that I remember feeling very sort of comforted by that book and others that said, Look, you're not a bad person if you have bipolar. Yeah. Um, this is pre Stephen Fry, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, look at all these people, you know, who have had it and, you know, they're really brilliant. You know, and it's sort of like, oh, God, thank God. I thought I was such a hopeless piece of trash, you know. Um, and I, I think that the interesting thing, and I say this from a writing point of view, as someone who's managed to write a few books, um, is that you do have a heightened sensitivity, I think, with bipolar. I think you do. Um, and you can actually, you know, certainly imagination is a really great thing. Um, and I, I, I'm, I, I think I could never have done some of the things I've done without having that uh, condition. And I'm not trying to sell it because I'm not one of those people who goes, oh, no, bipolar is great. You know, you can't definitely have it. I don't I don't believe that. Um, but it's there are upsides to it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I've just uh, seen a note from a good friend of mine, Simon Bentley, who said the mind cycle was a great idea. And he said it on a number of occasions. And Simon uh, actually made that all happen. He was one of those people around me that supported this idea. Otherwise, oh, great. it would have been a, a disaster. So kudos to you, Simon. Um, yeah. Al Alistair Campbell um, is another great campaigner. Uh, and I'm sure you, sure you know. Um, talks about the red button and for me this is a big chunky red button and if you could press this button and be normal whatever normal might mean i.e not bipolar and, and be more balanced given everything you've just described would you press it that is a very difficult question and uh stephen fry uh was given or gave himself that question at the end of the um documentary um uh, and he went, I think he went, no, I won't press it. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's really difficult, that, actually. Um, I, I probably would press it, I think, mm. um, because 
it, it's um, you know it's 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 provided me with all sorts of things, and provided my family and friends uh, with all sorts of terrible things. Yeah. Um, but I, I think in a way, just sort of being, oh, I don't know, you know, I think I probably would press it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one. I, I, I must ask the question if to my wife if she would press it on my behalf. Maybe she would. Um, you know, I probably wouldn't press it, but then I probably haven't lost as much in terms of stuff that's happened as the extreme. I've lost a lot of time with depression where I can't do things. And, yeah. you know, I lost my 30th birthday celebrations where I just couldn't face going to them and stuff like that. Yes. Many examples like that that I'm sure resonate for you. Um, but I think the price I paid is probably worth what I've got out of it. Um, right. So I probably wouldn't press it. I think Alistair said he wouldn't. I'm um, talking to Stephen Fry. You were did we were involved in that documentary weren't you yes i was yeah tell us about that um so basically i um i ended up writing a, a novel uh, on that's why i went to live on patmos the, the greek mm-hmm. island and, and that was based on it was an autobiographical novel called taking leave um and when i came back and i waited for that to be published my dear wonderful doctor tony hughes um who was very interested in arts and everything, he said to me, why don't we do a documentary about manic depression bipolar? Um, you know, almost like we could go for a coffee or we could do that. And uh, <laughs> I said, Tony, okay. And anyway, so we did it. We, I said, great, okay, I'm in. And, um, uh, 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 and so it was very much, it was his idea to do it. And we developed it. In fact, we developed it down here in Somerset. Yeah. Um, and the idea was to tell it how it is, um, not bullshit uh, at all. And we knew Stephen Fry and we asked Stephen to narrate it. And um, we got um, through my wife, who's in the film business, we got, um, you know, a production company, good production company, landed a deal, got going. And after about five weeks of rehearsing, um, Stephen Fry turned around and said, I can't do this. So we're going, what? You know, my God, that's so bad. And, you know, and, and he said, why? And he said, because um, it's too, it's too close to home. Um, you know, this is me. Yeah. So we redid the whole thing as um, the secret life of a manic depressive Stephen Fry. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I always take my hat off in a major way to him because uh, everyone goes, that was easy for him to say these things. It was not easy. And he was very, very good. He took all his clothes off metaphorically, was very brave. Yeah. And, um, and the reason it was an important documentary was it told the truth about it. And it was being told by somebody who's very famous. Yeah. Um, and so Ted in Wing Canton or in Reading or in Islington, who go to the pub every night and says, well, you know, I never tell anybody what happened to me, my manic depression, bipolar, suddenly could go, oh, I could tell my mates. Yeah. I can be, I can be honest about this. So he cut through a lot of shame and embarrassment. And I, I think that documentary made a big difference. I know it did because I hear it all the time yeah. when I, of talks um and it won an emmy which is an oscar in telly um you know and i was part of it um and i'm really proud to be part of it you should be and um you know i can add to that list of people that it positively uh, impacted because i think you know for me it, that was probably the first time i heard somebody's story um and told so articulately of of you know describing what it is like and, and doing so so honestly and, and, and in a raw way and it kind of helped me think I'm not alone with this right I'm not alone mm. and um, it was very very powerful and very very uh, impactive so you know thank you. I mean few few people know um, you know outside of that documentary that Stephen Fry went to prison right when he was 19 yeah, yeah. Um, you know and okay he hadn't had a diagnosis of them but it was basically borrowing someone's credit card and going around the world. Um, quite interesting. Yeah. So I think, no, I mean, I'm, yeah, good, good. Um, and, and 
you know, obviously your career now has evolved into speaking about this sort of stuff and, and writing. Um, talk, talk us through, um, I guess, you know, being open and sharing your story and how how that has been for you. Has that been kind of, how has that impacted you and your, your journey with this? Well, what happened was that um, soon after doing the documentary, um, I wanted to do a book, um, which was, uh, I came up with the title, You Don't Have to Be Famous to Have Bipolar, um, which was sort of a fun dig at Stephen, but it wasn't really, yeah. it was just funny. And, um, and that book was about uh, Tony Hughes and myself, our life as doctor patient. Yeah. And if anything, it was a dig at John Cleese, actually, because <laughs> um, his book was so pretentious. <laughs> anyway, um, so we did that, and I and I we well bef just before we did it, I got a deal with Penguin to do it, and uh, and I suddenly thought they said to me, "Could you do this in um, five months?" And I was like, "Yes, of course." And I went home and I saw my wife, and I I said, um, "Jane, look, I'm going to do this book, and it's going to say lots of very tricky, dodgy things, you know, because uh, you cannot make an omelet unless you break eggs, yeah. you know." Yeah. And uh, and I said, I won't do it if you don't want me to, you know, no, because it's embarrassing for her. Sure. And she said, oh, I don't give a shit. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> I, I think it's great you're doing it. Great. So I did that. So that led on to giving talks, you know, it was a then in those days it was the thing called MDF, Manic Depression Fellowship, yeah. which became Bipolar UK. Yeah. Uh, so I did talks with them and Charlie Waller Memorial yeah. Trust did talks with them. And then started to speak for schools through Anthony McClellan Agency. And yes, it was weird. It was weird to do it, um, um, particularly to schools, um, you know, where you had kids going, you know, can I ask this question? Did you really do all that? <laughs> you know, what were the hit records that you had? Um, I... You know, people say it's, it's very cathartic, all this stuff. Um, and I think it is. I mean, um, you know, because it's tricky to get the balance right between speaking from the heart and also not being a bleeding heart. Yeah. You know, you don't want that. You know, you want to be able to go, look, don't worry, there's a happy ending to all this. But this is what happened. And um, and I, I suppose I spoke for about five years, you know, just on the bipolar story. And then I realized that I had to go much bigger than that. And um, I created a dashboard of dials of mental health, which you've probably seen. Mm. And, you know, that's my, those, that's my coat hanging hooks yeah. that I use to, to talk about it all. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there is a part of me that thinks, oh, blimey, you're going to spend the rest of your life doing this. Um, but I guess that's what we we have to take our own our own medicine, don't we? And think, well, yeah, let's get some balance. Maybe get back into writing, yeah. um, doing this, doing that. You know, balance it out a bit. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, you know, it's uh, I'm sure you're having a great impact in in sharing your story as well and, and demystifying what mental illness and bipolar in particular is is all about. And and you've got the Shed Talks podcast series. Um, yes. Uh, tell us about that. And, and I, I kind of love doing these things. You do, you do you get the same feeling of learning so much from others and being inspired? Yes, I do. I really really enjoy it a lot. And um, Basically, I during the lockdown, I started to do a few videos on Facebook, you know, how just, you know, me, my take on mental health, yeah. which seemed to go down quite well. Actually, yeah. I, was quite, I was quite thrilled. Um, and then I had been developing an idea for Radio 4 uh, to do a chat show on mental health uh, called Around the Kitchen Table. And, um, you know, these things take ages. In the end, they went, you're not famous enough bugger off and um thanks and so i brought it into doing um doing it like a podcast and the idea is that we take somebody who has had a serious mental health problem or they know somebody very close to them who has uh and we get their story how it went totally wrong how it got totally right then we talk about the life jackets what they are which is actually a riff on desert island disc quite funny yeah but films books you know pets etc and then we have the difference is we have a, a psychologist karen cowan who comes in at the end 
and gives us lots of words of wisdom. And, you know, we talked, her and I talked together about it and, and it's good. Um, and we've had, you know, like Tim Clark, Robbie Williams manager, who was really good, really interesting. Just had Ian Rankin, mm. um, who was very good. Um, Nathan Horrocks, the jockey. And we try and get different people, but not necessarily Graham Norton's red sofa. Yeah. But people, you go, actually, that's quite interesting. I quite like this bloke or yeah. woman, you know. So that's what it is. Yes, and I do really, really like it. And I'd like to, somebody to give me uh, £100,000 immediately, please, so I can go on doing it. Um, that's probably unlikely, but anyway. Well, if there's anyone in our audience with that sort of check writing ability for a podcast, then um, Jeremy will be will be here. So we'll we'll put some links to to your show, to your website, uh, to your book, uh, and, and the Stephen Fry um, documentary, as I think that's worth um, if you haven't checked it out uh, to have a look at. Mm, um, mm. Jeremy, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Um, I've I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for being so open, and thank you for all you do in in working towards a mentally healthy world where we're eradicating stigma. Um, this is the form guide, inspiring conversations about our mental health and well-being. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for joining us. I think I'll close out with another tune, actually, of your choice. And um, this is um, Salt and Pepper. Let's talk about sex. I actually um, <laughs> butchered this in a, uh, a video I did on stress, and I replaced the sex with with stress. Um, oh right! And um, it was me explaining what stress is all about. So uh, I was quite amused when you uh, you shared that one. So I'm going to play it. I'm going to play yeah. this one out, but thank you so it much just, for joining us. It just puts me in a good mood. I don't know why. It's just a stupid song, but I, I, I like salt and pepper. Yeah, um, definitely. Anyway, Rob, thank you very much for inviting me, and uh, it's been rocking, and I hope your your score is going to go up a bit today. And, um, yeah, definitely. whatever. You've already got me to a seven. Thank you, Jeremy. And here is salt <laughs> and pepper. Let's talk about sex.